I, Charles the Fourth, or is it the Third? Bloody man! We will strive for the detoxification of the Let me put it to you! Justin Bieber! Yes, if you win by one, you've won. The phone went over the side of the first time. It is time to destroy the I just think everyone should be sure. What the fuck is going on? Hello, I'm Mark Steele. Welcome to my podcast where each week I ask the question, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? Hello, this week's what the fuck is going on is uh, slightly different from other what the fuck is going on because as well as what the fuck is going on with things internationally, nationally, in your own area, uh, there's bits of the inside of me that I don't know what the fuck is going on with them. So I will be talking about that there will be a normal episode coming out in the next few days uh, in which we will be discussing all these medical matters and Angela Barnes will be talking on that she used to be a nurse as well as being a brilliant comic Elliot Steele who is a brilliant comic and is also uh, just seems to wander around the house don't know why uh, so he will be talking about and lots of the the normal characters who come on here and chip in and uh, add into the what the fuck is going on this of this podcast? They will all be speaking about it as well. But that'll be coming out in a couple of days. And uh, this episode is is me talking about this uh, rather peculiar last few weeks that I've had. That uh, well, I could have done without them to be honest. But on the other end, it makes for an unusual podcast. So it's an ill wind, isn't it? What a palaver. What the fuck is going on with my body? I sat in this room in a hospital feeling a physical relief. Like, not just in my mind, a actual physical, like a breeze. A breeze that was definitely there and could have been measured as about four on the Beaufort scale. <clears throat> and it fluttered and I'm sure made my hair blow. And it came from the fact that a consultant told me that he was very confident I had throat cancer that had spread into the lymph glands. And I held this bloke's complete stranger's hand. I'd only met him 10 minutes earlier. And I looked up to the heavens like a South American footballer after they scored a goal. And it was honestly one of the happiest moments I have ever known. So, around the middle of June, I noticed while I was shaving that one side of my neck was bigger than normal. And I looked from several angles uh, uh, because I didn't believe the mirror. I thought the mirror is lying. It's a trick. It's one of these tricks, one of these little optical illusions, because when you notice a large abnormality on your body, you just assume that your mind has made a mistake. Any explanation is more plausible than you have actually radically changed shape. It's probably something to do with the northern lights or an eclipse of the moon or a in my mind, I'd got my left gland mixed up with my thigh and it was meant to be that size. And I googled, why is one side of my neck suddenly much larger than the other? And the answers all said, well, glands do this because they're fighting off infections and they swell up. There's nothing to worry about unless it hasn't gone down after two weeks. So 
two weeks later, I told myself it had sort of gone down in that it was only a little bit bigger than before. So I called the doctors at exactly 8am to make an appointment the way you do now at exactly 8 o'clock, poised over the computer the way people try and buy tickets to see Taylor Swift at exactly the moment they go on sale. And I made an appointment for the following week and then I went to France for a wedding and I pretty much forgot about it and I thought, oh, that had gone down that lump. What a fuss. And the following week I went to the doctors and I talked in that blokey way, that way that blokes talk to doctors. I don't know why I've come really, doctor. It's nothing anyway. This summer, I suppose you bought to have a look. And he felt my neck and he felt my throat and he said, I'll book you in for a scan at the hospital and said something about scar tissue. And then I went off to play football and forgot about it. And then nearly two weeks later, I, I thought that's still lumpy, that gland. And I hadn't heard about the scan and I thought I really, really ought to. And while I was in France, I'd read uh, Kathleen Moran's book, which I very much enjoyed, about men. And one of the chapters is about men not going to the doctors. And I thought, yeah, now she said in there, you know, blokes suffering in their own way from a sort of sexist society. And one of the things is to match out to go to the doctor. So don't be like the person in her book. So uh, I rang the doctor and said, can I have this scan? I was supposed to have a scan arranged. And the, then the, uh, somebody told me to ring the hospital. And I said, who at the hospital? And they said, I don't know. You'll have to find out. So I rang the hospital. And there was this long message telling me if I went to the hospital, I would have to wear a mask because of COVID, which wasn't very reassuring that they haven't managed to change the answering message in however long it is since you had to go around wearing masks all the time. And I thought, God, when they when they changed that one, what was the one before? <laughs> if you are suffering from diphtheria, you will not, if you have the plague, you must come in a long white pokey mask thing. Um I don't know. So uh, then you press things like you have to, one for outpatients, two for surgery, three for something, four till you get to nine and you think, oh, I don't know what these numbers, I don't know which one it is. And then the phone went dead and I called again and I pressed the numbers again and it's. <laughs> and then I thought, this better be bloody serious because if it's just a fucking mild infection and I've been through all this bureaucracy, I'll be very cross. And eventually I got through to someone and this absolutely delightful radiologist uh, was going, oh, yes, love, oh, I don't know how we've missed you. Come in Sunday morning, darling, we'll find a slot for you, sweetheart. There you go. Like she was, sort of, you know, like the sweet people you get who work in a transport calf. And so on the Sunday morning after the Sweden versus USA women's football penalty shootout that ended up amazingly, if you remember, with a, a, a sort of dispute over whether the ball across the line. Um, I, I just got there in time because of that. And... I expected him to tell me off for coming when there was clearly nothing wrong. And I lay on this blue plastic bench and they covered my neck in this sticky jelly and she placed this machine on my throat that looked like sort of an electric shaver from the 1970s. And that was the moment. All good film directors know it's the look when everything changes. Robert De Niro and Goodfellas, when he looks around the bar and you know he's going to kill them all. That. So she's looked at the screen and I thought ah everything is changing and she scrolled back and forwards and looked again and looked again and uh, then I thought well am I not human as she discovered <laughs> as she discovered that and she's going to have to go and ring someone from the CIA and 
she said it it's very enlarged uh, it's very uneven and it's hard and i'm booking you for a fine needle aspirational biopsy and suddenly i was in that different world biopsy that biopsy world this is how cancer starts cancer starts with a biopsy and then the next morning the doctor called me and i thought oh no doctors don't call you that urgently unless it's urgent and then i got a text saying urgent referral in capitals and i thought of all the times i've been frustrated that i couldn't get urgency from the doctor and now they were yelling i was urgent in capitals and i thought i just want to be lackadaisically forgettable again and then there would be a phone appointment with a doctor at the uh, hospital who was a specialist and he would call me on Thursday and uh, suddenly I was being asked these questions I was asked questions four times that week same ones have you lost weight do you have night sweats can you swallow properly were you out of breath have you discovered any blood in your mouth do you smoke how much do you drink and I, I thought well I know these are all unsubtle cancer questions this is as obvious as a detective leaning towards you in a cell and asking her uh, do you have any evidence that you were alone at home on the night of the murder it was like all right you, you don't have to sort of you don't have to guess very very hard to know what you're asking here and then the, the doctor who, who called uh, from the hospital was Polish, very pleasant, very personable. But he asked all these questions again. And then he said, uh, very good. You have no symptoms. Good. And uh, so I said, I'm going to ask a question. I know you can't answer it, but do you think I've got cancer? And he said, not good. The chance is not good. And I thought, what? What do you mean the chances are not? The chances that it's cancer are not good? Or that my chances are not good? Ah, chances not good, he said. And I went, oh, fuck, what? Now, one issue that I've often complained about in life is tennis commentators on the radio who go, oh, my word, he's hit that shot into the net with his forehand. And I've sat in the car so many times yelling at the radio, who? Which one did it into the fucking net? And this was similar. Whose chances are not good? My chances are not good or the chances of it being cancer are not good? <laughs> yes, I see problem. I mean, chances it is cancer is not good. I think not cancer. Uh, and then he told me the biopsy would be within the next week and the hospital would contact me with a date for the appointment, but they didn't. So 10 days later, I rang the hospital and I listened to the COVID message again and I pressed all the buttons and I was put through to someone who told me I'd already been in for the biopsy and someone else who told me I was coming in for a scan and said, already had that. And they said, no, you haven't. And uh, then someone told me that um, I had to speak to someone else who wasn't there until Thursday. And they were all lovely. All these people were lovely and sweet and trying to be helpful and just sort of like but fighting against some sort of bureaucracy that that seems to inhabit this world and it was very similar to when you're trying to bring sky to rearrange your tv package i felt just a cancer version of that and then eventually i was given a date for the biopsy and then i was given another appointment to discuss the results four weeks after the biopsy oh, what? I don't know much about cancer I thought but I know you have to be quick don't you, you can't just wait four weeks and of course I'd read all these articles about the disgrace and the scandal of people having to wait four weeks till they find out the results of a cancer biopsy and I thought I know I've read them and I've probably done podcasts about them but I didn't think that actually meant you had to wait four weeks till after the biopsy and then I thought right the only thing that's 
meaning that I probably haven't got cancer at the moment is I've answered these questions about the symptoms. But what if I've what if I've just not realised I've got the symptoms? What if I have been losing weight and haven't realised? And then I put this shirt on I hadn't worn for about four months. And it was a little bit tight the last time I wore it. And I thought, oh, shit, I was absolutely cacking it. I put this shirt on and I thought, please, please do it. And then it was still tight. And I thought, thank fuck for that. I'm still an overweight bastard. And then uh, on the day before the biopsy, I was called by someone who said, uh, um, Mr. Steele, instead of waiting four weeks, you can come in on Saturday to discuss the results. And she was lovely and sweet, this woman. And I said, well, that sounds much better, but will you have the results by Saturday? And she said, no, no, they won't be ready by Saturday. I said, well, what, what's the point in coming in to discuss the results if you haven't got the results? She said, well, do you not want the appointment then? And I said, well, I do, but only if you've got the results. Well, I have told you we won't have the results. And she was telling the truth. She had already told me that. And throughout all this time, I told my son and I told my daughter and I told my agent and I told loads of friends about the story. And it's terrible. You do not want to be a comic telling a story like this because... You're just sort of, <laughs> you're conditioned to thinking any time that you, you speak to anyone and you haven't made them a little bit jolly, that's a bit of a failure. <laughs> this is part of the neurosis of the comic. Even if you're buying a Kit Kat, you think, oh, I could have done that a little bit funnier. And um, I just wasn't able to find a way of going, I think I might have cancer and leaving people feeling jollier than before. Maybe I should have found people who hate me. And I think that a cancer scare maybe is more suited to authors of thrillers. They'd probably relish it. Also, I was and in the very exciting early stages that you have, hesitantly, of a new relationship that all seemed very uh, promising. And so one evening I had to say, um, by the way... Uh, all the other things we're talking about uh, are all very well, but um, I might have cancer. Now, there are countless books and websites and forums. I've never read any of them or looked at any of them rather than make the most fleeting glance, but I am aware that millions of these things exist in which detailed advice is given on how to act and what to look out for and what to say in the first months of a potentially lifelong partnership. Uh, and I very much doubt whether any of them say, why not liven up a romantic evening by mentioning that you might have cancer? But despite all of this, I still have believed it might turn out that I'd simply twisted my neck by sleeping on a badly designed pillow. But a biopsy makes everything seem very, very real. Any of you who've had one, it's, it, it's not physically horrible necessarily i suppose it depends where it is it's not very nice but the emotions and the tensions of it so there i was on this blue plastic bench again and i was told as i sort of twisted my neck one way so that faced the other way and then a sort of sheet of paper was put that flapped over me head so i was sort of lying underneath it and the the biopsy surgeon said uh, oh the fine needle won't be enough it won't be enough. It says fine needle, but that won't be enough because the lump is too big. So I need a big needle biopsy. And I thought, what? That, that can't be good. 
and my head was turned away. And so I never saw this needle. And I'm thinking, this the big needle. We need the big needle. I was just imagining something like in a Tom and Jerry thing or some big, the wily coyote when he's gets a big needle from somewhere and he's waiting for the roadrunner so that he's going to inject it with whatever is going to kill him. I did the fucking, was it five foot long, this thing? I've never seen it. Maybe it was. And then while you're lying there, you're being asked questions. Where's the letter saying that, that what was the number of the thing and your client reference something number? I don't know. I don't know when I'm actually looking at the letter that's got it all on what these numbers are. And then it just sounds like, oh, have you had an endoscopy? What date have you got for that? Who was it who ordered it? And then it just sounds it just sounds gobbledygook. It sounds like you might as well be like a bad dream where you're accidentally on university challenge and I'm being asked questions like, has your biopetrometerist given your trisonomodone levels and which which Calvinologist measured your polyglutamus? And then this needle, this huge needle, I probably wasn't that huge, <laughs> went into the neck and it extracted the cells and he explained that I'll hear a little popping noise and that was a little cap going on this thing that preserves the biopsy cells, whatever it is. And by now, I was used to the heightened tension in any room with a doctor that has any relation to cancer diagnosis. You become alert to the slightest facial change they display. The tiniest wrinkle of a nose sends you into a spiral of despair. What does that wrinkle mean? He wrinkled his nose. Why? Why did he wrinkle it? It's because they've discovered I've got no stomach. Look at the way the nurse is holding the pen. That's a grip of a pen consumed with the melancholy air of impending catastrophic news I'm done for and uh, as I was getting up the doctor went very hard tumor now up till then I'd been telling myself that this was all irrational but there are very few ways of interpreting the phrase very hard tumor that don't include the probability that you have a very hard tumor it's not their fault. They're dealing. They're probably doing four biopsies an hour. Uh, but I have definitely been told by a mechanic at QuickFit, I'm afraid you'll need a new clutch with considerably more sensitivity than the way I was told. It was a very hard tumor. But tumors aren't all cancer, so I would have to wait four weeks for the results, and they would be presented to me in an office. Four weeks, as if it's to drive the drama to the maximum. I don't know what way you can impart information about this sort of thing better, but there's got to be a better way than this. It's as if it's designed by Simon Cow. As they're about to tell you the results, I thought, there's a bass drum start, like at the end of the Strictly Come Dancing results show, and as the doctor's about to tell you, do they stop and go, but now we're going for an ad break. We'll be right back to reveal the results. The biopsy surgeon told me that I would be contacted before this appointment with the results in around seven days, he said. So, the days after the biopsy, these are the terrifying days, worse than the biopsy itself. Every call from an unrecognized number just stared at me with menace. I, there was a cold caller from PC World who must wonder why I answered the phone going, yes, hello, yeah, yeah, what is it? Yeah, oh God, Jesus, just, hang on, just let me steady myself. Okay, what is it? 
Hello, I'm from PC World. Several people have told me that if the results were ominous, I would hear very quickly. And so when five days passed, I thought, I think I'm going to be all right. And then a blood test come back showing nothing unusual. So it felt like everything was going well. And then it got to 12 days without a call. And then it started going out the other end. What? Hang on. What? 12 days? It shouldn't be. So I rang the hospital. I pressed all the numbers. I was told the results weren't in the system yet. But never mind. A couple of people said if it was cancer, they'd have told you by now. And then I had a meeting with the consultant. And I was told the biopsy was still being checked. And next week, we're going to remove a gland if it's inconclusive so that we can check that. So there'll be surgery. And I was booked in for an MRI scan and a CAT scan. And I'd become aware of what someone had warned me that cancer or even potential cancer could be a full-time job. And I can't count the number of times I've been to the hospital for blood tests and more tests. And I, I became used to medical people tapping my arm to raise a vein for the test and telling me I can't find a vein. And then I do the same joke every time. I'd make a terrible junkie and they would ignore it. And once one of the other patients laughed, so that made it worthwhile. And then just after I'd come off stage from presenting some awards in a hotel in Paddington, the British Car Park Awards, no less, I got back to my phone and I noticed an email from the hospital that said, we apologise for the inconvenience, but your biopsy result was lost in transit. You will need to arrange to come in again for another one. All that tension, and they'd lost it. So, uh, at this point, I was in a date. That, yeah. And various people going, thank you, Mark. That was great fun. Thank you. And someone asked if I could include Swindon in the next series of towns for the radio show or something and poor swords had no idea they would have had no idea that I was wandering out into the West London sunshine wondering what the fuck I had a and they'd lost it and so now of course I'm thinking well now that once again makes the possibility of this being cancer back to where it was before but not only that but the people responsible for it lose your biopsy so oh god so your trust then dissolves and i was talking to someone that night and they said oh it's because they outsource it you know on the, the delivery and I, I said yeah but who do they outsource it to deliver who maybe they'd mixed up my biopsy with some chili sauce for a mexican takeaway and there's some poor sod last night who was spreading my cancerous cells on his burrito <sighs> fuck so I thought well do I trust them to take another one or will they lose that one will they bloody send off some milk in the fridge by mistake and then I'll get the results I'll be told well the good news is you don't have cancer but you do have an alarmingly high level of calcium and then a completely new person called me and said I had to go in for a repeat biopsy the next day to see what stage of cancer you have and I said hang on no one said it's definitely cancer you said it's definitely cancer oh yes you said has no one told you and that was how I found out it was cancer. Now, a friend who used to be a nurse advised me that it was essential during these times to be what she called a polite pest. If you don't understand what they're telling you, you must ask 
politely. So, of course, of course, because for each appointment you go to these things, you wander through this mysterious system of tunnels and lifts and pink zones and blue zones, and then the that, the little signs for pink zones disappear, and so you have to just guess and ask, and there's corridors and trolleys swing out from unexpected alcoves carrying someone with an oxygen mask who hopefully just took the answering machine message too literally, and then cleaners and pharmacists and surgeons and radiologists are all meeting in the corners to discuss their timetables and and all in this amazing factory of of living and and then there's the patients and they're in waiting rooms staring on their seats and looking at walls that haven't been decorated since 1983 to be told what their x-rays mean and their scans mean and their blood tests mean and you're just one patient to whom this means everything but by the time you get home and have a cup of tea to discuss the results they've probably been through three more and you have to be aware of that and of course they're paid appallingly and they're treated with contempt and when their minister was sacked for being useless he went on i'm a celebrity so don't take out your frustrations on them of course but you do have to be polite and ask and question things if you don't understand and not voice the thought that come into my head, which was at one point, after they'd lost the biopsy, I might as well take my chances with a voodoo doctor, except they probably lose the doll and the fucking pins. But thankfully, I kept that to myself. But I was then called in to see a consultant. And I went in with my son, not knowing what to expect here. And as we arrived, the doctor looked at his screen and he said, uh, they found the biopsy at a different hospital. They sent it to the wrong one. And in, without, in the same breath, he said, I'm afraid it's not good news, Mr. Steele. I would argue that you never realise how much you like the idea of living until a doctor in a meeting about cancer says, I'm afraid it's not good news, Mr. Steele. Uh, the result had come back from the MRI scan and the CAT scan, and he said, you're going to have to go to a different hospital tomorrow to learn the details because I'm not qualified to interpret the details fully. But I can tell you the lump in your glands is definitely a secondary cancer, which means not only is it cancer, but you've got cancer somewhere else that's caused it and it's gone to there. And I said, uh, okay, are you keeping something from me? Because I knew he'd seen these results. And he said, look, you'll just have to ask the specialist tomorrow. And I said, is this deadly? And he said, touch wood. And then he touched some wood because he's professional. Now, at this point, you run into all sorts of areas, though, to the People I've been closest to over my in my life, but Linda Smith and Jeremy Hardy, they both died of cancer. I've got a section in the show that I'm doing about the day Jeremy died when the obituary writer from the Times called me. And and uh, this is a real regret that I have because the obituary writer from the Times said, uh, I, I thought that obituary writers were people who had some connection with the people that they were writing about, but apparently not. They're just obituary writers. And he said, I'd just like to ask a couple of questions. I said, okay. And he said, first of all, Jeremy Hardy, was he political in any way? 
went, what? And he said, and was he a keen follower of sport? And I went, oh, I yeah. And I was sort of a bit befuddled and answered properly. And as soon as I put the phone out, I thought, oh, what an opportunity. I should have said yes. Yes, he was politically, he was chair of the East Surrey Conservative Association and he played rugby league to a semi-professional standard and it would have been in the Times, which would have been perfect. And uh, so I, I was thinking at this moment, well, I can't complain, I'm unlucky. I mean, compared to them, I'm lucky. What is luck? You know, uh, we're lucky we're here in the first place. All these millions of thoughts all sort of ricochet around your mind, you know, and uh, you know, you start thinking, oh, my son and my daughter, can they carry on living in the house if I die? Or does that involve filling in a load of forms? Have I got to fucking do that on top of everything else? Oh, my God, what if I've forgotten the password to bloody whatever it is with the mortgage? And, um, and I'll start thinking, oh, what if, if I suppose if my son has my car, my daughter has me record collection. Is that fair? And then I wondered what the jokes would be like. Was, you know, would there be a little headline somewhere going, oh, have you heard about the new radio show? Mark Steele's in the ground. <laughs> and then I tried to have a normal day as much as I could. I went to the Oval as I'd planned weeks earlier to watch the cricket with a couple of friends. And I told them what had happened and they were brilliant. And then we discussed who was the best all-rounder out of Ian Botham and Ben Stokes and I can't remember what each of us said about that. And then I had a weekly French lesson where I speak French for two hours with uh, Fatima, who's marvellous. And I must, this must be the most terrible French lesson ever. I was just sat there forlorn and gaunt and explaining how the hospital had lost my biopsy and she was tremendously sympathetic. And it was all in French. So I, I went, uh, ils ont perdu uh, le biopsy. Uh, and then she sort of tapped me on the arm and looked at me really sympathetically and went, la biopsie, c'est la biopsie, la biopsie est féminine. But during this really not my favourite day, I had another train of thought as well because my new partner had been astonishingly calm and supportive throughout this just emotional enough, there must be a, a course you go on, just emotional enough, but no panic. You don't want panic. You don't want people shrieking. You don't want <laughs> you don't want it being like a soap opera. And at all times, she suggested that I'd been viewing the possible diagnosis in completely, well, in a, not in the wrong way, but in a s sort of slightly distorted way. Because I'd been thinking either it's cancer and that is doom or it's not cancer and then all I need is a packet of strepsils and I'll be fine. But of course, we're in a different world now. Most cancers are now seen as curable. Even the ones that aren't curable are treatable and can be treatable for years. Um, you know, like HIV in its early years, where they, or in its sort of middling years, when they found treatments that could, that could keep you alive, even though they didn't cure the condition. And this, this is partly generational, I think. My generation was brought up to think that cancer was as final as being beheaded. But that's no longer true. If it's cancer, there will be a plan to deal with the cancer. Even the consultant, when I said, is it treatable? He said, all cancers are treatable, of course. And so the next morning, I had to go again to this next meeting. Nonetheless, this was just about as tense a moment as I'd ever had. Now, I'd been saying to uh, Elliot, I'd been saying I feel like a football team and I'm eight, nine games into the season and I can't get a win. 
every time I think I'm going to get a win, every time I get, I think, oh, I'm going to win, the blood test results are back and they're fine. No, like the, no, the other team scores in the last minute because the blood test results turn out not to be fine. Every time I think I've got a win, the biopsy, they haven't, they haven't told me the results of the biopsy, that must be good. Then fucking VAR cancels out me bloody goal at the last minute uh, because it turns out it's lost and so on. And we sat there in this waiting room and we had to sort of discuss various things like whether Harry Kane had ever returned to Tottenham and stuff like that. And then we were called into the room and this tests you. <laughs> Nothing is as nervy as this. And I, I went in there and we sat there very, with a deep breath and I tried to interpret his look, which wasn't bad. And this completely new doctor I hadn't seen just said, the first thing is we've looked at the results of the scans and there's no cancer in your lungs. And Elliot went, there's your first win of the season. And so uh, I asked the doctor if he was a football fan and he was. And I said, that's what, that's the way in which we're talking about this. And then he said, next I have for you, it was Greek, next I have for you a good draw. Uh, and he said that the primary cancer is probably a lump in your throat and that is very treatable. After that, you don't really hear the details. You would have to be quite cold to hear the details after that. I was glad there was other people there to take the details. All you've heard is, you're going to be all right. You're probably going to be all right. And there were, I don't know, glands and scans and chemotherapy and radiotherapy and fucking pet something. And, oh, and he said, you'd better take six months off performing. But I really didn't care at that. At that point, I really wouldn't have minded if he'd said, uh, now you're going to be fine. The only thing is, uh, instead of being a comet, you're going to have to spend the rest of your life placing raisins into bars of Cadbury's fruit and nut. I'd have gone, that'll do, mate. And I just looked, that's when I looked to the heavens and it, uh, it's going to be all right. And then I had the PET scan the following week where I was injected with radioactive dye. How exciting is that? And then you have to wait an hour before being placed under this machine. And there was this brilliant moment when the nurse said, Mr. Steele, the scan you are having today is the Rolls-Royce of scans. And that is possibly as emotional a moment as throughout all of this, because this nurse was so proud of this equipment that she was associated with. She was so proud of the ingenuity that she was administering and the expertise that she was included in. And of course... When it comes to luck, 30 years ago, my situation might have been fatal, just as measles would have been 100 years ago, and now people don't get it because they haven't vaccinated. And now it probably won't be unless something goes very wrong because be, not by chance, but because physicians and doctors and scientists have dedicated themselves to blasting away these cellular mutations we call cancers and because nurses and cleaners and caterers have run the hospitals and having arrived from all over the world, often with a load of abuse thrown at them for doing so, and because campaigners and writers and trade unionists created a health service and defended it from all the people who want to ruin it, and then as well as this, on a, you know, I'm trying to find a way of saying this without seeming like a sickly cliche. There is nothing like cancer. I would recommend it to feel the depth of the warmth around you. My uh, Elliot and my daughter and my partner and so many friends who've taken me to appointments and listened to the complaints and they've lived all the moments they've took the piss and told me I can't, they can't wait for my voice to not work for a few months so they get a rest from it and talked about cricket and been utterly 
utterly, utterly magnificent. And the results of this PET scan, the Rolls-Royce of the scan, showed that there is no cancer in me outside of the neck and throat area, so there should be no reason why a combination of treatments won't cure it all. So, all of that is a very long-winded way of saying, as I'm saying this, I'm a few days away from an operation that I hope will confirm the location of the cancer. If not, then they might have to still look around for where it is, but it, it seems all very treatable. And from there, a program of treatment will begin, uh, or probably surgery, radiotherapy, chemotherapy, or a combination of all of them. And the current estimate from the doctor is I should be able to start performing again in around six months. I think I'll still be able to do this podcast, but if not, say la vie, and that's la vie, and that is my current state of affairs. Cancer, but a cancer that can be got rid of. So how it feels is like there's a leopard in my house, and the leopard is locked securely away in a room. I've contacted the leopard authorities, and they have assured me that they're used to dealing with leopards like this, and it's fairly routine they have a plan for removing the leopard though it will take a while so it's awkward but they will deal with it and that's fine but a few times a day i can hear it grail and that's all very reassuring but even so quite often i find myself thinking hang on there's a fucking leopard in the house Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. There will be another episode in the next few days where I will be talking to Elia and Angela Barnes and lots of our regular characters will be seeing if they can work out what the fuck is going on with me. In the meantime, if you've liked this podcast, rate it and if you can be bothered, write a review. If you can't be bothered, well, definitely. Well, you can't be bothered to write a review after listening to all that. Have a good look at yourself. If there is anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it, please send me a message on Twitter at WTF is going on pod and we will look at every message that you send. If you'd like to become a WTF supporter for as little as £2 a month and get early access to ad-free, ad-free extended versions, please visit our Patreon page. What the fuck is going on was hosted by me, Mark Steele. The music was by Willie Dowling. It was produced by Pete Sinclair and Mike Benwell at Carousel Studios. What the fuck is going on was brought to you by WTF. F Productions. <laughs> <laughs>